Uh, the, probably one of the best things about knowing Jesus is no matter what happens in life, it can be well with your soul. Um, and the one song I actually love on that, Ryan, is mm-hmm. where it talks about um, where the objects of his love, you know? That's actually really neat. Because I think one of the biggest things I've found as a Christian is that we have a hard time just sort of being loved. And so, you know, God creates us in his image. He creates us to do good works. He creates us to be in his object of love. And I don't know about you, but if you're a parent and you have a child, you know what it means to have an object of love. Well, that's what you are to God. But so many people, they don't see God that way because when they see, but he tells me not to do this and to do this. And yeah, but you do the same thing to your child. Does that make it any less an object of your love? If anything, it makes it more an object of your love because you tell them to not do things that will get them in trouble and to do things that will make their lives full. So anyway, I love that song. The other thing I wanted to share before we get started this week is that make sure you get caught up with what's going on. We're going to be uh, pushing out some new small groups. If you're not involved in a small group, please try and find a home somewhere in there. Um, We're also going to be doing more with generosity in the near future as well. So get used to learning to love. I've been very happy with the Samaritan Purse outcome. We just started those boxes and we've gotten rid of a ton of those. I'm not sure even how many, but a lot of those we've gotten rid of. Um, I think I'm getting a little crackly here. Okay, sorry about that. Am I on? Yeah? Okay. So when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, look in your notes and flip to the other side and you see the Lord's Prayer. We've been focusing on this for several weeks and I'm going to wrap it up today because... It is time. It is well, and it is time. So the Lord's Prayer is probably one of the most unique situations that I find in the Christian life. Because many people who say they are a Christian, they may know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, may have memorized the Lord's Prayer. But it, it was not just put together by Christ himself just to memorize. In fact, when he spoke it uh, several times, we assume he spoke it. We have two written accounts. Once when the apostles ask, how should we pray? And then Jesus shows them. The other, the one we're using for this series, was when he's on the Sermon on the Mount and he's preaching and teaching people how to live in the kingdom of God. And he says, this is how you pray. I think once you get it into your head, once you memorize something, it just seems to be filed away. This was meant to be more of a discipline, a habit. A practice. Many people will come to Christ, and for some reason, it's amazing how we come to Jesus. Sorry, I don't know why this is acting up. We come to Jesus, and then we act as though religion is a mystical thing without any sort of objective outcomes. We sort of file it away in things to believe, but that doesn't necessarily change my life. As I read through the Lord's Prayer, I began to realize as I was teaching through it line by line... I began to realize that each of these lines is really a belief system and a practice that you can expand on. It's it's almost like when you go to school and they teach you basic arithmetic and then they expand on that and they get into complex algorithms and algebra and trigonometry and all those things you always loved to do. The difference is that most of that, most people will never use in their life. Prayer is something you will use every day of your life, or you should use it every day of your life. And if you weren't taught that, then let me teach you very basically. You should pray every day of your life. Now, your prayers should be effective. Your prayers 
should have substance to them. And the reason I say that is because even when my wife and I were in the hospital for weeks on end, not knowing even if our prayers left the ceiling kind of thing, we knew that everything was in the hands of God. In fact, last week when we closed up at the very end of the Lord's Prayer, he talked about, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He had a, a focus. Notice the picture we used for the effective prayer series. It, it's a gentleman folding his hands like this. This is actually a tool we taught our kids when they were younger. Do you know that? And prayer for years, you know, centuries, you know, you've seen prayers like this, and you've seen prayers like this. And, but if you go, go ahead and put your hands like this. Do you know this is a tool for children? When kids can't stay focused, just hold your hands like this for a second. Hold on. Give it. Humor me. Isn't it weird when you grip your hands together, it brings all your energy and focus where? Here. When kids are antsy and they run around and they can't seem to stay in one place, we used to have our kids do an exercise where they sat at a table for five minutes, said nothing, but their, held their hands like this and folded them. But if you try to do something, you always go back to what? Focus, focus, focus. You see, your prayer life should focus you where? To him. You should be focused on God every day. You should have the ability to focus on God every day. And yet we have so many distractions in our wealthy culture that we don't. So effective prayer basically is when we begin to effectively focus on God for, for what we need and what we don't even know we need. It is a gripping of the hands, a bowing of the head, a raising of the hands. It is whatever it is to focus you into his favor. He starts the prayer and he says, uh, our Father in heaven. But that, my friend, is a belief that you have to believe that first. In fact, notice when we closed the prayer and he said, lead us not into temptation. That in this, he said, deliver us from evil. And what's really cool about this closing thought he has in the prayer is that it means all evil. Not just sort of uh, the things you think are evil or the things you feel you are tempted by on a given day, but it's a deliverance and salvation from all that is evil in the world. That you ultimately, as a follower of Jesus Christ, will be delivered from all evil. Why? Because in heaven there is no evil. There's nothing wrong. And I love that because Paul reemphasizes that even in the midst of his persecution. Tradition holds that Paul, along with Peter, both died in Rome. Probably under Nero. They said that after he, he, he burned Rome, that he blamed it on the Christians. And it is said traditionally, that Paul was beheaded at that point. But Paul would go on and say this about his faith to Timothy. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him will be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I sat there and I thought, and I read this, and I thought, how many of us, when we go through the most difficult parts of our life, are, are able to say this? 
We, you know what we tend to do, and, I, you know, and I'll include my own being raised in, in this sort of comfortable, wealthy culture, is we moan and whine and complain to God. I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, I can't, you know what I'm saying? We go on and on and on and on with these things, or, or wow, I can't believe that that happened to me. Why did you allow that, God? Paul, when he was engaged with evil, and that is what life will bring against you when you try to do good. If you, if, by the way, a little side note. If you never feel like, if you're comfortable and you feel like, well, nothing's going wrong in my life, then can I just press a little bit and say maybe you're not doing anything good? Because the devil has no reason to attack you if you're not doing anything good. Right? I mean, I, I think the best road to hell is sort of comfort. Um, because when you do good to people and you love others, it's uncomfortable, it's sacrificial, it it's, takes time and other elements. But Paul knew this. He said, I know the Lord will rescue me no matter what situation I get into. He'll rescue me from every evil attack. He believed that. You see, and that's why when the Lord's Prayer begins, it begins with the very effective statement, Our Father, who art in heaven. That's, that's a belief statement. You know what that requires? That it requires that for you to focus on an effective prayer life, you, it requires that you believe in a loving Father in heaven who you can go to out of humility and with respect for. That's the way you approach God. And it's been written a thousand different ways in Scripture from David to Solomon. All their prayers that are written came to the Father in heaven with respect for him, humbly. It requires belief. For many people in our culture, they have a hard time believing in anything. They're skeptics. Skepticism does not allow you to believe. In fact, I, I, I need to share this with you. If you went through the public school system, as I did, you realize humanism teaches skepticism. It's the outcome. It, it's, it shouldn't be odd to you when you think, man, it's been hard for me to really believe that. You know, I keep doubting it. I keep thinking, what if this, or what if that, or what if this? I was taught that my whole life. You know, you can't believe anybody. Come on, everybody's going to let you down. There's no truth. Why would you believe that there's a God? And it goes on and on and on and on. It gets fed into you a thousand different ways, folks. But the effective prayer life requires what? You need to believe God exists. And by the way, it's a very reasonable belief. People just don't talk about it. And what I love about believing and having humility and respect for someone other than myself is, A, it teaches me to show respect. It teaches me to uh, exercise belief. But what's cool is when you exercise belief, you're automatically getting rid of disbelief and disrespect. How many of you would love to see all the children in the world respectful to their parents? Anybody in this room? Any teachers in high school that say, how many of you teachers in high school would love to have students who respect you and show respect to you? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think our Heavenly Father would require anything else? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed, respected, uh, separated out, your name. And he moves on from the prayer and he says that your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is our prayer to him. Well, now this, again, if you pray this way, it will change who you are. And it'll change your situation. Why? Because in our thinking, the first thing we tend to do is bring our concerns to God, our personal issues. That's usually the first track of our prayers. We don't, we don't typically pray re- sort of with this sense of just recognizing who he is, respecting who he is, loving who he is, and then move slowly into his will. What we tend to do is jump straight into, man, I've got this issue going on, God, and I need help. Now, does that mean you can never pray that way? No. What it is to mean is if you want that prayer to be even more effective, I'm going to show you how. If you want that prayer to be more effective, start with who God is out of respect and love for him because he wants that. And then, and then move into what is it he really wants. Notice how Paul, how could Paul believe he's really going to be rescued? The guy was beheaded, guys. How can Paul believe he was going to be rescued or, or that God would love him in that situation? And it's mainly because he believed in the will of God. Do you believe in the will of God? Effective prayer desires to see his will accomplished above our own. And to be a part of his will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is what we were supposed to learn in the Lord's Prayer. Now, let's pause a second. How many of you know what the will of God is? Or do you just know what he will not like you to do? You see, most Christians I meet, the way that they view God, the filter they have of our Father in heaven, is the lens of what he tells us not to do. And that's good. That's a good parent. You know, don't put your hand in the fire. Don't sin. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. Those are all good. But that's how they filter and define the nature of their relationship. His will is defined by all the don'ts. But notice what the Lord's Prayer says. Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. It defines it by do you know what the true will of God is in your life on this earth? It requires some focus. Today, I will tell you that most believers, if you walk up to them and say, man, so what's God really calling you to do today that's really good for him? What's the will of God for you today? Let's skip like the future and yesterdays. Let's just talk. What's the will? Focus on that for a second. What is God's will for you today to do? Most Christians would be, if I could use a, a word, clueless. Because we weren't taught about the do's. We were, we, were, we were taught mainly about the don'ts. And that's good. That's half of it. But the other half, which is a big half, guys, is the do's. You see, the person who does the will of God on earth is focused on what he must do. Remember, he said, lead me not in temptation. Get rid of those things. Deliver me from that. Let me focus over here. You see, sin 
distracts you. Sin messes with you. You see, your prayer should start with a love for the Father in heaven. It should roll into, I just want your will in this situation. If it is your will for me to go through this difficult thing, then so be it. I accept your will and give me the courage and the strength and the tools to go through it for you. Because I know, as Paul wrote, you will rescue me in all situations. Right? That's the Father we have. Uh, we do this as parents. I don't see why we don't get it. I tell my kid to do the trash, clean up the dog poop, and they always try to cut corners, right? Like, I really don't want to do that. Is there a way to get around it, right? Do you think we'd be any different when we pray to God? It's like, you know, I kind of feel like you want me to do this, Father, but you do realize that takes a lot of time, and I actually, it might take some money, and I actually might have to change my time schedule, you know, reorganize my schedule for you. And I'm like, are you sure you want me to do that? You're just like my kid, right? You'll try everything to get out of cleaning up the dog poop. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. You want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you think that's going to cost you nothing? Do you think that effectively is going to mean you don't change your schedule? It does mean one thing. Do you even think that way to begin with? And I, and I promise you, because I was raised in the tradition of the American church, and I will promise you we focus way too much on the don'ts, and we are not trained to do the will of God on earth. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What are the works he prepared in advance for you to do? He sets you in this time, in this place, in this very space for his purpose. What is his purpose in you? And you'll sit there and go, I don't know where to begin. Begin by believing. Begin by beginning to research the word of God in such a way. And I say research because it takes work when people research. Research the word of God in such a way that you discover what you should be doing. I'll give you one clear example that has shamed, not shamed me, it just, man, it humbled me, slapped me in the face. We do these boxes for the homeless that we put in the car that we're going to be making an effort for the church to be prepared to give to the homeless in the cars, right? All my life, I've driven by the homeless people. All my life, I've seen homeless people, and occasionally I've helped them because, you know, that's the Christian thing to do. I met with my kids. I said, kids, how can we be more generous as a family? Years ago, we met. And they were just thinking off the top of that. They said, why don't we have something for the homeless in the car so when we see them, we can hand them something and be prepared proactively prepared to do the will of God. Wow. Is that a shock? Think about it. Think about what I just learned from my kids. They taught us that. Your children can teach you that, by the way. My first thought was, that's brilliant. My second thought was, I've been alive how long and never thought of that once, and I've driven by these people a lot more than my kids ever did in their lifetime. How do you think I felt? Self-absorbed? Maybe a little. Selfish? Maybe a little. Unconcerned with? Inconsiderate of? Think of all the words that flushed through my head. And I thought, why have I not focused on the will of God on earth? That his will would be done here, like it is in heaven. Why have I been distracted by so many, many things? Effective prayer desires to see his will accomplished above our own, and to be a part of his will on earth, 
as it is in heaven. You see, I love this. And the reason I love this part, by the way, is when you do this, it effectively gets rid of selfishness and indifference. Because wealth, really wealth brings with it a certain amount of indifference. I could care less. There's a certain amount of indifference that hits us. And it, and it gets rid of selfishness. You know, for me to actually have a box prepared for a homeless person, it means that I actually have to go out of my way to put those boxes together. I had somebody the other week come up to me and said, I love that. I love that whole box thing. And I said, they said, why? They said, when the other week I ran out and I went by a homeless person and I didn't have anything to give them. And I felt bad that I didn't have anything to give them. Think about that feeling versus what you usually feel when you just drive right by. When, when you feel like I could give something to them and I need to be prepared, it motiv the motivator for that person to go get the boxes and get them together and have them in the car, you know what the motivator was? They wanted to do something good for that homeless person. What if your motivation was to do good? Wow, I really want to be able to do that. Then be prepared now. Listen, if you, you know, we always have this prayer like, if I had a million dollars, I would do this. Listen, if you had 20 bucks, would you put a box in your car? I, I don't think it takes a million. I don't even think it takes a, a thousand. I think it just takes a couple few bucks where you sit there and you think, wow, I can help somebody. It's a state of mind that the Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing I love is that in the psalmist, he writes the same thing. He says that the Lord established his throne in heaven. It's his kingdom that rules over all of us. There is no other kingdom. I believe in a monarchy. Both you and I believe in a monarchy. We don't believe in a democracy. We support a democracy. We vote in our democracy. But ultimately, we have a monarchy of one. And that one monarch is God. And he will rule over all things. It's his kingdom that will come, not mine. It's his kingdom that will, will need to be done, not mine. And so we have to start thinking about the will of God and focusing on that kingdom. The next line, he finally starts to talk about what we should look at for ourselves. And he, and he says, you know, give us this day our daily what? Bread. And, and, and you sit there and think, on the one hand, it just says that he'll provide your meals for you. Very basic interpretation. He'll provide the food for you. But what's really cool is when you focus on what he's trying to say there, when you focus on what each of those parallels means, give us this day our daily bread. You focus on that? It means that your effective prayer should make you reliant on him to provide for us every day. Uh, as of about two years ago, this one became very difficult for me. What I had realized that I had got sucked into because of our wealth in this culture is that usually we have a week or two's worth of food in where? In the fridge. And, you know, you're sitting there praying with your family. Hopefully you pray before meals to give thanks for the daily sustenance. Hopefully. If not, find a time to pray and give thanks for this. Right? Make yourself reliant on God. And I had known that wealth is a deceiver. And a deceiver means you don't even know you're getting sucked into it. It's slow and subtle. It's like an addiction. It just feels good, right? Slow and subtle. And all of a sudden, I caught myself realizing that, you know what? I'm not sure I really have this faith. 
You see, when I go to a third world, I go somewhere where they have nothing, and when they wake up, their first thought is, where's my next meal? That's this. And they are, they, they are forced into this. They know this. They, they believe this. They get this part of the prayer. That every day I have to be reliant on the very food in my refrigerator because, Father, I don't know where it will come from in the following day. We wake up, we have two weeks of food in the fridge. We might have, some of us have the freezers in the garage with like, you know, six months of deer meat or something, you know, in the garage. And that's, I'm not against any of that, by the way. I like food. Uh, but the reality is, when we have so much stored up, which is a good thing, it could be very wise, in fact, but the reality is, when we have so much stored up, the temptation to us is to stop believing in God. Because you have no need for him. Now, that's illogical, by the way. It's illogical and unreasonable, but it's the fact of the desire of the heart. You see, an effective, focused prayer life, the thing I love about that is it'll get rid of your indifference and self-reliance. You have to realize you can't be self-reliant. And don't wait until you're in the emergency room to realize that. Don't wait until you're in a tough situation to realize that. Practice self-reliance on the Father in heaven every day. And you could pray for that. There could be a need you have in life. It's okay to pray that to the Father. But you always do it out of a need for self-reliance. I am self-reliant on God every day. The, the thing about it is I just woke up and I was clueless about it. I just didn't realize that. I woke up. I woke up and I got into my day and somewhere I forgot to just sit there and think, you know what, God, this whole day is yours. I wouldn't even be here. This life is a gift. I wouldn't even be here without your grace. Thank you. The self-reliance is huge. Are you self-reliant on your Father in heaven? In heaven, you, you, we're all self-reliant on him. He's the source of all life. That's how Paul could easily say he'll rescue me from any evil situation. Why? Because he is the rescuer. You're going to get in situations because you're human that you cannot get out of on your own. That you will not be able to overcome. That you will not. Not without his grace and his sufficiency. And we need to begin daily in our prayers by relying on him daily. With that. There have been many churches that have said this, and I actually believe it's true, that probably one of the best ways for you to learn to start being generous and start loving other people and being reliant on the Lord is when you start giving up maybe one Starbucks a, a week and putting it towards doing something good. It's the idea of taking the food you have, the two weeks of food, and saying, what about this food could I sacrifice and say, God, you've given me ample food. Teach me now to sustain myself with you. And Jesus loved food. I love Jesus. You know, if Jesus is here right now, i got to be honest, I'm not a big fan, but he was. He likes fish. So if he happens to visit you, take him out for fish. He'll like that. Indifference, self-reliance is what we need. That's why he said it's this daily bread. He didn't say weekly. He didn't say keep it in the fridge. Daily, rely on me. And when the fridge goes down, you'll realize food spoils. He goes on in his prayer to one of my favorite ones. He said, forgive us of our 
debts, our trespasses, is we forgive those who are debtors, our trespassers, the ones who sin against us. And what I love about this is this focus, this focus of effective prayer now focuses on your very soul, attacks the very nature of what kind of person you are, and it saves you. It saves us from all our sins, and it gives us a clear conscience because we can't hold any sins against anyone. And let me explain to you why this needs to be a daily practice. If you recently have come to Jesus, or you're not in the practice of a daily prayer, let me explain the importance of this. First of all, your sins are forgiven permanently by God daily. You need to acknowledge that. Forgive us of our sins. You've done that. Forgive us of our debts. Remember, the debt was a broader expansion of the word. It dealt more with these opportunities you've had that you didn't do that you should have done. The will of God that should have been done that you did not do. Those are the debts you owed that you didn't pay. As we, as we connect it, conditionally, maybe, definitely with warning, as you forgive those, how good are you at forgiving other people? Because when you let go of all your bitterness and all your contentment and all your struggle with other people, you have a clear conscience and a pure soul. This line of the prayer saves you on so many levels. It focuses you on grace. The ability to just let go of the offenses against you and focus on the will of God in your life. Why is it important daily? Because when you hold on to bitterness, it builds up daily as much as if you don't pray, it will still grow. You see, if you choose to pray daily, you will grow in your spiritual life. If you choose not to, you will grow in a different life. Bitterness grows. Hate grows. Resentment grows. Do you think that in not praying, you will just stay idle? Effective prayer when it focuses on God, it sits there and says, you know, I need to let go of all those things that were done against me. And that's hard if you were abused as a child. That's hard if you're in an abusive situation right now. It's very, very hard. I'm not saying it's easy. What I am saying is this. If you practice this daily, saying, Father, is there anyone in my life I'm holding anything against? I want to release it to you today. I forgive them. I want to release it to you today. When you practice that daily, guess what happens? It becomes easier and easier for you not to hold on to anything because it's not worth holding on to. I could walk out of this place and somebody could offend me like nobody's business. But if I have this daily discipline and practice of prayer where I have to let go of it, because you know what? Our Father let go of my sins, He let go of them, they're gone live that way, well then I just need to let go of the sins against me. You see where I'm going with that? How do you do that? It's a daily discipline and practice in the eyes of God. It's right in the Lord's prayer. And by the way, you can't sit there and say, I just don't have time to pray. Have you ever just quoted the Lord's prayer? How long does it take to say this prayer? 
of all, he made it short and efficient. Why? Because he wanted you to be able to memorize it, remember it, and expand on it. It's a genius prayer. It's our model because it effectively tells us how to focus our prayer lives. And man, the thing I love about it when I start to get rid of my uh, uh, bitterness or the things that have been held against me, that's exactly what happens. It's gone. People will come to me and say, how can you put up with people doing that stuff to you or being a pastor and having these things said or done? And I sit there and I go, guys, uh, it's actually kind of easy for me now. Why? Because I know the nature of my own sin. When I pray and I say, God, Father, thank you so much for forgiving me of my sins, the grace that you've shown me, that, that, you've, that you've given me that kind of a love and mercy in my life, it should be relatively easy then to let go of other people's sins against me. Why? Because they have not done nearly as much as I believe I have done in the eyes of God. I know my soul. Nobody knows your soul and your heart and your head and the things you've thought and the things you've done, things you never told your wife or your husband, the things you thought and you said, wow, I can't even believe I thought that, but him. And then he chooses to love you and let go of those. And I sit there and I go, wow, give me that kind of memory and give me that kind of forgetfulness. Let me forget what I should forget and remember what I should remember. Remember to do the will of God and forget the sins that have been put against you. Get rid of those. The last bit of the prayer, again, was dealing with the temptation. Dealing with, uh, was, I, what I loved about this particular part of dealing with temptation. Oh, I'm going to skip through this verse real quick is that here he teaches us effective prayer proactively gives each day to our Heavenly Father and seeks his salvation for every situation. It's proactive. Daily prayer is proactive. So people will say, well, well it, when would you pray? Well, honestly, I would do it in the morning sometimes and do it throughout the day. Daniel did it three times a day. There are many different examples. Jesus just on a regular habit of it. But I believe you should try and start your day with prayer. Why? Because it's a proactive element. You don't know what your day is going to be like. You think you might. You might even have a great schedule. You think you might know what your day is like. But if you have had any years behind you on this planet, you realize you can't schedule the way God schedules. Proactively give each day to your Heavenly Father and seek His salvation for every situation. Proactively lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil. Proactively. Can you really pray that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love about that part of it is it gets rid of your control issues. Because one of the biggest issues we have in our culture is everybody's got control issues. I, it's my life. I can do what I want to do with it. Really? So you're going to die. Can you do anything about that? Would you just speak to me? Can you plan two weeks, let alone two years of your life, really plan them in detail? Not really. I've met way too many people, including myself, we try. And there's nothing wrong with planning. Planning is actually a very wise thing to do, but make sure the planner is him and that you're flexible to him. It gets rid of control issues. <coughs> control issues, really? I just want to do what I want to do. That sounds like my kid who lacks self-control that's running around the house. 
And I need to tell my kid what? You need to sit at the table, be quiet, and fold your hands for five minutes. Five minutes. Just you and your soul. Live with it. Five minutes. That sounds almost like a prayer technique. Yeah. I'm so busy, I got to go to work. I got to get up. I got to do this. Okay, I'll tell you what. How about this? You sit at the table five minutes. You fold your hands five minutes. All these thoughts will race in my head. Let them race, and you put them into the pit stop, and you let the big crew upstairs work on this. Five minutes. You, you see the value of five minutes. Five minutes could change your life. Five minutes a day could change your day and your life. I hope you've learned one thing about the Lord's Prayer. That the model that he gave us in the Lord's Prayer is an effective model not just to be memorized as a tradition in the church. It is an effective model to be practiced every day of your life. Now, do you use the same words all the time, Kelly? No. I expand on those. I talk more about who the Father is. I talk more about the things that are struggles in my life. I share more of the frustrations with my sin. I expand on all that. Do you ever jump through it and do other things? Absolutely, I've done that. But I know when my prayer life seems a little off, I could get back on track with my prayer life. Why? Because he gave a model. He gave a model. Some people will say, I don't feel like I'm being heard from God. It's okay. I've been there. Use the model, stick to it, he'll listen, he'll be there, even if you don't feel it. Effective prayer is effective prayer. Focus is focus. Believe in the Father in heaven above, and he will deliver you from all evil. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that when you were approached for a model, that you didn't just return a question with a question. And when you preached, you just didn't avoid it. You actually gave us a model. And Father, that's just an amazing help to us. We who seek to find your favor and your love, and we seek to be objects of your love. It is, it is so hard. So often, Father, we, we beat ourselves up and we don't see ourselves as objects of your love, that we just need to express your goodness. Help us to do good works. Not to get distracted by cars, houses, careers, educations, stuff. Help us to focus on you. And really just say, Father, what do you want from us? Today you love me. Thank you. What is your will today? Thank you, Jesus that when you lived on this planet, you gave us a model to follow. That you didn't just come and die on a cross for our sins. You came to show us a sin-free lifestyle. You taught us disciplines and habits that were never taught before in that way. You taught with authority, and you spoke with authority. You weren't vague and mystical. You were clear and precise into the very souls of men's lives. Teach us to pray like you prayed, that we might glorify our Father who is in heaven. In your name, amen. Stand with me for one last time.